Amen, amen, amen. Okay, this is what I need everybody to do who's watching. We got about 60, 70 people watching. This is what I need you to put in the comments. I need you to type in this com in the comment. I am committed to living righteously. Mm -hmm. I am committed to living righteously. I need some people to make a decision today. I noticed Pastor Chris was doing it in worship this morning, right? I don't dabble with sin. I don't dabble with the world. And what we are inviting you to do, challenging you to do, is to come into agreement. I am committed to living righteously. Mm -hmm. I am committed to living righteously. And I want to say two things as I set us up. Um, I think that it's so important because a lot of times, you know, especially during our birthdays, we got so many warm wishes where people said to us, thank you for your yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your commitment. Right. In mm -hmm. order to impact the world, it takes all of us saying yes. Absolutely. It takes all of us saying yes. It can't just be Pastor Elwin, Pastor Sean, Pastor Ralph, Pastor Chris, the prayer team mm -hmm. making a commitment. We all have to say yes. Yes. Why? Because there are people who are going to see your Facebook profile that are never going to see mine. Absolutely. There are people you're going to see at work that are never going to see me. Yep. There are people that you are going to see in Target, Walmart, Starbucks that are never going to see us. And I think it's so important for us to realize that most of us came to Jesus because someone modeled a life that looked like something. So we were in church. If we had been in church and everybody in church lived like anything, nobody would have wanted that. But we typically saw something different about somebody. And even if we didn't fully understand it, it made us want to know more. And so I'm telling you, it takes all of us. And I love seeing all y'all say it in the com comments. I'm committed to living righteously. So we've been teaching. We've been teaching about how we are complete in Christ. So we know that God has already done something for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's changed our spiritual DNA. We are no longer bound yes. to sin. We are, put this in the comments, I am not a slave to sin. I am not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to sin, but I love something that Paul says he would say, but I am a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I am a slave to righteousness. And I think that we need to make a decision in order for this to really work, in order for this not to just be a teaching that everybody heightens their awareness for three weeks and then three months from now goes back to however they're living to say, no, I am committed to living righteously. I am not a slave to sin. And I am going to live a life for God. Yeah, and I like because, you know, and it's, it's just a matter of wording, right? But I love that scripture you were talking about because Paul says, I make myself, I make myself a slave. To I make myself a it's slave. It's not that God, you know, it's one thing to be a slave, right? Where you have no will, you have no ability. Paul says, no, 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 I make myself which means that at any point I could walk away from righteousness, but I choose not to. I choose to enslave myself to righteousness so that, so that I am, by my own free will and accord, sticking with God. Well, if you think about it in Deuteronomy, in, um, in, um, in Jubilee, during the time of Jubilee, there would be people who would be set free and yep. they would say, no, I want to stay yep. with my master. Yep. I'm saying to you, you are free to do whatever you want to do. But I think that God has demonstrated how good he is 
through the Lord Jesus yeah. Christ. And there are some of us that you've never said, no, you said, yes, I have a savior. Yes, when I die, I want to go to heaven. But we're looking to elevate to some people this year who will say, listen, I could post that, but I'm not. Yeah. I could go there, but I'm not. I could do that, but I'm not. Why? Because I have made myself a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we got some scriptures. Some of them are the same scriptures that we're been, we've been doing. Let's start with Colossians 1 through 3 and 5 through 10 during the mirror translation. You want to say something? No, I just, I just, just in that, you know, we're, there's been so much um, talk over the last month or so about this idea about grace. And I think it's interesting that we really started talking about that right before Easter. when we started with the lesson, uh, living the resurrected life, right? And we've talked about living the resurrected life. We're talking about living the lifestyle of righteousness. We talked about contending for the faith. And really all of those teachings have culminated to this point where I think it's really important for us as, at least as a ministry, but then also collectively as a body of Christ, to begin to explicitly state that yes, you don't live under the law anymore, that you live under grace. But even in the New Testament, everything that we hear about grace tells us that grace is not a license to sin, that truly grace is a license from sin, and that the Bible is explicit in that our grace doesn't give us an excuse to live any kind of way. And I'm like, I don't understand how people are saying, oh, but I'm under grace as though that is supposed to now be a license to sin when the Bible clearly says it's different. So I assume that people say that because they don't know. And so because they don't know uh, this teaching today and certainly the one I'm going to do next week is going to really delve into this idea of what does the New Testament say about grace and my uh, what what's my responsibility to live out my daily life? in such a way that represents Christ in this new age. No, I think that's so good. You know, when the when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your mind, your soul, and your body. Everything about you yep. should display that you love God. Put that in the comments. Everything about me should display that I love God. Yep. He said in the second one, is likened unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. He says, on these two on things, these two things, hang these two things, everything, hang everything about the law. So if you go back and you look at the law, every single thing that God told them to do or not to do was either about a demonstration of love for Him or a demonstration of love for other people. You can literally sum up and fulfill the Ten Commandments by keeping the law of love. Yeah. I love God so much, I wouldn't commit adultery. Yeah. I love God so much, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, covet. I wouldn't covet. I love you so much, I won't lie to you. Literally, everything, every law can be fulfilled in simply asking a question. Does this honor God? Does this show love to people? And we have to remember what the purpose of the law was. People act like the law was this thing that was so terrible and bad. It was inferior, but it wasn't terrible or bad. Because what did the law do? It pointed us to Christ. It, pointed it us gave Christ. us a direction Christ. for how to live. Now, because of our, our frail humanity, we could not fulfill all the laws. We could not live them all. 
We couldn't do everything, right? We couldn't do everything we were supposed to do. So in order for us to live out the law, we see, God sent Jesus in place of that to fulfill the law. So now Jesus says, okay, I've come and I fulfill the law. Well, then how do I fulfill the law to live under grace? I live in Christ. That's why he says, if you in me and I'm in you, I'm in the Father. He says, then we are one. How do we become one? We become one because we understand what Jesus did. We understand the purpose of the law. We understand what Jesus did. We understand what grace is. And then we act like we understand all of that. <laughs> and we act like we understand all of that. And, you know, and I think that's why it was so powerful to me when you used um, Jude the other week. Right. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. And I want to say this and this may seem like a bold statement, but it's actually word. You actually don't love Jesus if you don't love the word. That's what the Bible says. You actually don't love Jesus. And what happens is a lot of people love their idea of Jesus. Mm -hmm. This sweet savior that came so you can do anything you want to do. That's the part they love. They love the savior part. Yes. But he is Lord and savior. He is Lord and, and savior. And Lord comes first. And Lord comes first. And so if you read the ingredients on the back of a uh, of, of some food product, they tell us that whatever is listed first is most abundant. So if you pick up the back of a container and it says it has sugar, um, onion powder, garlic powder, we know that the, the, the main ingredient in that is what? Sugar, because it's listed first. He's Lord <laughs> and Savior. You know, before you even can, can ask him to be Savior in your life, you have to determine that he's the highest, that he's Lord. And so it's important for us not to forget the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that, too, in the next couple of weeks. And I think I think and, and this is really what I'm asking you. And, and here's the thing that you the Holy Spirit cannot lie. You can simply ask the Holy Spirit, is Jesus Lord of my life? Yeah. Not do I like going to church? Not do I like Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean? Not do I like getting good things from a Holy Spirit? Is Jesus actually the Lord of my life? Can he actually tell me what to do? Can he actually correct me? Can he actually transform my behavior? Will I actually submit to the people that he's placed over me? Though the Holy Spirit, because he cannot lie. And then the purpose of that exposure is to lead us into all truth. I read a, a post this morning that a young lady said, and I thought it was so good. She said years ago when she was a fornicator, she said she was in church. She was, but years ago, she said to the Lord, I do not want your input about my relationships. Mm -hmm. She said, I don't want your input. I got it. And she said, after many years and many heartbreaks, she asked the Lord, why was she having such a hard time in relationships? And he took her back to that moment that she said, I don't want your Lordship in this area. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, and she said, now she's like, I want your lordship in this era. But she was saying, how much did I miss? A lot. Because I was determined to do it my own way. A because I was lot. determined to keep fornicating. Because I was determined to keep shacking. Because I was determined to do this thing. And I thought that by going to church, I thought by singing on a praise team, doing all of these things, that I was going to still get the goodness of God. See, the great thing about having a lord is that a Lord is responsible for your entire life. Mm -hmm. The Lord, the reason he wants to be Lord is not to boss over you, is that 
He wants to be responsible for your whole life. Why? Because nobody's going to take care of you as good as God is. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to take care of me as good as God is, right? So when we say to God, you can't have access to this area. You can't have access to my money. You can't have access to unforgiveness. You can't have access to this. Then literally we built a wall and we don't give him access and anything God doesn't have access over Satan dominates. Yep. All right. Mm -hmm. So let's, so let's, so our, our goal today, we don't know how much this will get through. Uh, some of it I'm sure I'll teach next week, but here's what we're going to do. We want to, we want to, we want to begin to lay out some things that we've talked about to remind you of who you are um, and what the, what the word of God says about who we are as new creatures. And then we want to see what Paul has to say about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves as new creatures, because people like to say a lot of times, well, you know, if you say so and so, that's Old Testament. Well, OK, we're going to focus on New Testament. We're going to focus on the part that you that people love to say, well, we're in the New Testament dispensation. Well, let's look and see what the word of God says about how we ought to conduct ourselves in this New Testament dispensation. Because what you can't do, you can't say, uh, well, that's Old Testament. I go by the New Testament. And then when you see something in the New Testament, you go, oh, I don't I don't accept that. It's either it's either it's either you believe it or you don't. And, 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 and at least in this ministry, that is the position that we're taking, that we believe God, that we believe the word of God. And we believe that the instructions that were given in the word of God is how we are supposed to conduct our lives. So in the famous words of Pastor Chris, we need your energy today. Listen, while we're teaching this, we need your hearts. We need your comments. We need your shares. We need your engagement. Do not fade to black on this teaching. Allow the word to transform you. Amen. Amen. So you, you want, ready to go to Colossians? Sure, let's go. Okay, let's go to Colossians 1 verses, um, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 3. It says, you are in fact raised together with Christ. Mm -hmm. Now ponder with persuasion the consequence of your co-inclusion in him. Relocate yourselves mentally. Engage your thoughts with throne room realities where you are co-seated with Christ in the executive authority of God right hand, mm -hmm. becoming affectionately acquainted with throne room realities will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly soul ruled realm. Mm -hmm. Your union with his death broke the association with that world see yourselves located in a fortress where your life is hidden with christ in god amen amen does that look like somebody who's doing their own thing no and, and he says listen he says your union with his death. And we talked about how we died with Christ. And if we died with Christ, then we were raised with Christ. He says, your union with his death broke the association of that world. So when we had an association with the world, when we lived according to the prince of the power of the air, when we walked along with the children of disobedience, we behaved and we looked a certain way. He says, but what happened when you accepted Christ, when you died with him and when you were resurrected with him? He said that old association was broken. It's like a, it's like it's like being a gang member and getting out of the game. You don't still do gang activity. 
Come on. You don't still do gang Come activity on. if you out of the gang. He says, you're no longer in this, this gang of the world. You are now in God's kingdom with his dear son. And that association has been broken with the world. He says, but here's the thing. Now you got to see yourself. You got to see yourself. Located in this fortress where your life is now hidden with Christ. Amen. And I love what you use the example with gang activities. I want y'all to see this. Sin is gang activity. Yeah. We're not in a gang not anymore. In a gang. We're in the family of God. Yes. Sin, practicing sin is gang activity. I am not in a gang anymore. I am in the family of God. And so when I'm in the family of God, I act like I'm in yes. the family of God. Because yes. I, But I have to see myself. And so I think this is one of the hard parts for people is that people get born again, but they still see themselves after the sound of two of the flesh. Well, they, so they, 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 they allow uh, a missed opportunity, a misstep. They, they, they miss the mark and they begin to equate themselves with that missing of the mark. God says, no, 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 that's not who you are anymore. You, you, even if you make a mistake, that's not who you are anymore. You had that, this thing that has happened with you and Christ, you have been broken away from that old association. That's not you anymore. But you got to see yourself as that not being you. And so how the enemy manipulates a lot of people is that people get born again and they have a struggle. They have a struggle in some area. They curse. They fornicate. They have sexual identity issues. Whatever the case may be, they lie too much. They still, they still tithe. I'm still going to say it. They do those things right there. And then they listen to the enemy say to them, this is who you really are. Mm -hmm. And because a lot of people do not spend time in the word, they don't get anything yep. that resets their throne room realities. And so you're meditating on your mistakes. You're meditating on how many times you ended up here instead of meditating on I am new in Christ because I become what I look like. And this is the thing people don't understand. You will never stop sinning looking at sin. Yeah, that's why verse five is so powerful. If you look at verse five, what does he say? He says, consider what? The, the members, members of, of your, your body, body as what? Dead. Consider them dead and buried towards anything related to that old association with the world. What things? The porn industry? He says, what else? Sensual, Sensual uncleanliness? longing for forbidden things, lust and greed. He says all of that stuff that used to be an association that used to be familiar with you. He says, consider the members of your body who want that stuff dead. dead. And then what did we talk about last dead. week? Dead things don't have desires. He says, so if you, oh, will if you will crucify your flesh every day with this word of God and see yourself as renewed, you will consider the members of your body dead. And so those longings that they have for the porn industry, for, for uncleanliness, for, for forbidden things, for lust and for greed, he says, if you will begin to practice seeing those parts of you as dead and gone, they will never have dominion over you. Now, I want to give an example of forbidden things, longing for forbidden things that people may not always see this. OK, mm -hmm. so one of our favorite examples, when we when I was getting ready to graduate from law school, you were getting ready to finish your master's. We were going to move where to Atlanta, Georgia. to Atlanta, Georgia. And what did the Holy Spirit say to he us? He said, don't go to Atlanta because you go to Atlanta. You're not going to make it. Don't go to Atlanta. If you go to Atlanta, your marriage is not going to make it. 
So many people tried to get us to go to Atlanta. Yep. There were so many we tried to get us to go. We tried to get us to <laughs> go. Let's be to honest, Atlanta. forget other people. We tried to get us to go. But what we had to do was to consider that we, move as dead. Well, and <laughs> but the other thing is that we had to cut off the longing yeah. for living there. Yeah. And the challenge for a lot of people, how they end up offended with God, is that once God says no about something, you keep playing with the longing. Yep. You keep playing with the longing. And because you play with the longing, it begins to be grievous to obey God because you feel like God is keeping you from something. Does that make sense to y'all? Because I need you to understand everything may not be a sin in the sense that you can open the Bible. But once God has said something is a no for you, it becomes sin for you to do it. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in and of itself wrong with moving to another city. The problem is, is that if God tells you don't go there, and even if you don't go, you keep meditating on it, you're going to resent God for not giving you what you want. Yep, that's exactly right. And when you begin to resent God for not giving you what you want, you become a prime target for the enemy to speak to you and say to you, God is trying to keep you from there because he is trying to keep you from something good. God never says no to keep you from anything good. That's right. That's good. That's real good. And then look at verse six. Verse six says these distorted expressions. Now, why are they distorted? Because there are things that go contrary to, to what, what God, God would said. have for you. He says these distorted expressions are in total contradiction to God's design and desire for your life. Verse seven says we were all once swept along into a lifestyle of lust and greed. But now, <laughs> but now, because you realize that you co-died and were co-raised together with Christ, you can now flush your thoughts with truth. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't have enough truth to flush out their thoughts. That's why we tell you that it's important for you to read your Bible. It's important for you to understand more than just what a preacher is saying to you. Yes. You need to understand this word so that it connects in such a way that it becomes uh, something that, that, that breaks down all the cognitive dissonance that you have about what you desire and what God has said yes to. Come on. You have to break that cognitive dissonance down. Did, did, I, did we want to move to Atlanta? Yes. Did, overnight, did we go, oh, God said no. We said no, no. We tried to figure out different ways to get there. But what we didn't do is move to Atlanta. What we knew is that God knew that God had something in store for our life and that he had never tried to harm us. And so over time, we just had to keep saying, I'd rather please God than to have my own desires. Who put that in and the comments? when you start to do that, when you start to say, I'd rather please God than having my own desires, then the longing begins to get cut off. He says, these distorted expressions are in total contradiction to God's design and desire for your life. So then if something is a, is a total contradiction to God's desire and design for my life, why do I keep wanting it? So if I keep wanting it, it can't be the real me. It's got to be something broken in me. And so if there's something broken in me wants something, it's because it's connected to that thing that's broken. And so I choose to enslave myself to God. I choose to enslave myself to righteousness so that I choose God over any desire I could possibly ever have. Because sometimes what you got to say is what I'm going to do is obey God. Yes. Now, and what I'm going to do I is flush my thoughts with truth. 
and I flush my thoughts with truth. And I love earlier, Vita made a comment. She says, you got to cut off the daydream. Yes. You got to cut off the imaginations. It's like this. God says, this guy is not a guy you should be with. This girl is not a girl that you should be with. Right. So you then say it's a non-issue. Um, Dexter said, did you hear the same thing or did one of you hear and tell the other and came into agreement? I don't even remember how it happened. I, I, I just remember that we wanted to be in Atlanta before the Olympics. That's all I remember. And I remember the Lord saying no. And I, I remember myself, Percy, uh, being in my back room in that bed crying. <laughs> now, let's just, let's just tell the truth. Because Atlanta in 94 was the black mecca. It's, it, 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 you know, they say Atlanta full now. It wasn't full then. Everybody was going to Atlanta. Everybody was getting there. And everybody was everybody was living the Cosby life in Atlanta, or at least we thought it was. And that's why I wanted to be. And, and so I don't know, Dexter. I don't know what happened. I just know the Lord said no. I don't know who said it or who heard it. But but I think that makes a good point, is that we really honor God in each other. If you're going to do life with somebody, you got to trust the God in them. There's been times I've said something. There's been times you've said something. I do believe the Lord told us both not to go because we both I know to he go. told me not to go. Yeah. He was like, do not go to Atlanta. And I think that sometimes people don't um, realize that part of what the Holy Spirit will do is warn you. Yeah. There have been a couple of times in my life where the Lord has said to me, if you do this, you will totally alter your destiny. Yep. You will totally alter your destiny. And one time the Lord told me, if you do this, you go die. Mm. And I think that people don't, the voice of the Lord is not just cupcakes and roses. Right. His, we try to teach our kids this. The job of the Holy Spirit is to keep you safe. Yep. Which means that there are going to be times that you want to do something, that you want to go somewhere. It looks good. It looks like it's all cool. And the Holy Spirit is going to say, don't touch that. I don't care who's touching it. I don't care who agrees with it. I don't care who approves of it. Do not touch it. Right. Yep. So you got to consider your members of your body as dead and buried. And now we've talked about how do we do that? We stop entertaining. Once God has said no, we confer no longer with flesh and blood. Yeah, and, and, and really, the part, it sounds like we're just saying you do it, but how do you do it? You flush your mind with truth. If you don't get truth in you, your imagination will take you where every of your desires wants to go. And here is the truth. God knows best for me. God knows best. That was me. how I flushed my life with truth. God knows best for me. If God says no to Atlanta, then Atlanta's not for me. I don't care how many people go. I don't care how many people. It looks good. That's fine. That's great. It's not the place where God wants me to settle my life. But God knows best for me. I flushed my life with truth. And then the end of verse 8 says, put these things behind you permanently. Put it behind so you don't keep so so you don't keep coming back to it over and over and over again. So Put you that don't stuff keep coming you. back. Put that stuff behind you permanently. So two things we were out, you know, in this scripture right here, it says um, when you talk about consider the members of your body now dead. And it says these distorted expressions are in total contradiction to God's design for your life. Mm -hmm. And I posted the other day, some of you are legit mad at God. Because he won't repair a relationship he told you not to get in yeah. to begin with. 
You are legit mad at God because he won't bless you in a job he told you not to take. Permanently put them things behind you. You've got to permanently put those things behind you. But the other thing you've got to decide, we were talking with our friends, the Jameses yesterday, and we were saying, how interesting is it that you will parent your kids and try to give them the best of everything, right? Tell them no about something, and now all of a sudden they think you're against them. We do it with but God. But that's what we do, we with, do God. It with God. though. God has shown how much he loves us. He has given us Jesus. How many of you has God rescued even when you got yourself in a mess? So now you allow your flesh to convince you that God don't want you with Jim Bob because God don't want you to have a good life when God cared enough about you to come get you when you was trapped yeah. and on your way to hell. Yeah. How, that God doesn't want you to eat something because he doesn't want you to have fun instead of the fact that he know that every time you eat that, that you get sicker and sicker and sicker. Man, come on, guys. We got to grow up and say, if anybody has disdemonized dis demonstrated that we are that they love us is God. Yeah. Now you know who hasn't always demonstrated that they love us? You, us, me. Right. I've not always demonstrated that I love myself. How many of you will admit you have not always chosen what was best for yourself? No, you have not always chosen absolutely. what was good for yourself. So if I have to choose between believing myself or believing God, I'm going to believe God cuz his record is yeah. better than mine. Yeah. His record is better than yeah. mine. You know what are you thinking? You know, oh. Verse nine. I mean, okay. we're, we're walking through this. Verse okay. number nine. It says that old life was a lie. The life that we lived uh, that was associated with the world when we were in the gang of sin. It says we don't live that life anymore. It was foreign to our natural original design. It says those garments of disguise are now thoroughly stripped off of us in our understanding of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. I can't, I can't stress enough how we have to understand that we died when Christ died and we got up when Christ got up. And just like he died, and let's be clear, he died as a sinner because he took all of our sins up on him, but he rose as a king. And the same thing is true for us. We died as sinners, but we rose as kings in life. Why? Because the same power that got Jesus up from the grave is the same power that now dwells in us. He says, but we got to see ourselves that way. He says, because that old life, it was a lie. It was it. foreign to it our design. He says, the garments that disguised and now have been to make us look like we was a part of that gang, gang members wear colors. They wear things that associate so the other gang members see them. We're both in Greek organizations. When I, There's a particular color I wear that my fraternity recognizes me by. There's one that you wear that your sorority recognizes you by and everybody else. And, 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 and whatever, whatever, whatever it is you're associated with, he says, those garments that were the world recognized you as loving porn, the, those garments that recognize you as loving unforbidding things, those garments that, that recognize you as being a person who loved lust and greed, he said they've been stripped off of you. They have been stripped off of you because now you have an understanding of your union with Christ in his death and resurrection. It says we are no longer obligated to live under the identity and the rule of the robes we wore before. He says, you ain't got to keep those game colors on. He says, neither are we cheating anyone through false pretenses. He says, we're we not, we not acting like we're something that we're not. We really have been raised together with Christ. We really are no longer sinners. 
He says, we stand fully identified in the new creation renewed in knowledge according to the pattern of the exact image. The exact image of who? Our creator. Our creator. You know what I think is so beautiful? Ooh, glory to God. This is so, guys, tell us what you think about this teaching this morning. But I want you to really understand this. So when I'm born again, I actually have to put the garment back on. Because I've been stripped off. Because the garment's been, so I get born again, I have to put fornication back on. Yes. I have to put adultery back on. I have to put lying back on. I have to put offense back on. Why would we want to put these nasty, filthy garments back on? Why would you? It's, it's like if you went out and you fell down and slid in the mud and was covered in mud. Why would you take a shower, get out the shower and then put those muddy clothes back on? Guys, it's some clothes you need to burn up. Mm -hmm. It's some garments you need to burn up. It's some people's numbers you need to block. It's some things you need to stop going back to. It's some conversations you need to stop having. Because why would you put nasty garments back on? And one of the things I love about you, anybody ever had a baby with a blowout? Mm. Now, one thing about Edward Strickland, very early in this marriage, mm. we learned. We don't say no baby blowout clothes. We, sure don't. we throw it all away. We don't bleach them. We don't soak them. We throw them away. You need to treat anything from your old nature like baby blowout clothes. We go get a new onesie. We go get a new jogging suit. We do not try to save it. We do not try to keep it. We do not try to make it work. It is gone. And I just heard the Lord say that. The challenge for many of us is we try to find a way to save what God said destroy. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's, we try to find a way. We try to say, okay, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And I know God told me so-and-so wasn't my friend no more. But they've been so good to me. So what if I just talk to them once a month? You know what? I know God told me don't eat this. But I'm just going to dabble in a little bit of it. We have to learn how to burn up. How to draw a line in the sand against the things that God is against in mm -hmm. our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Against the things that God is against in our lives. And, Amen. And, and, and here, and so here's what we're saying. Everything we're reading to you here in Colossians, Paul didn't just preach this to the Colossians church. He preached this to the church of Philippi. He, he preached this to the Galatians. He preached it to the Romans. You know, he preached it to the, the church of Thessalonica. It, 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 Paul had a resounding theme that he preached to all of them. And, and, and here's what's interesting. Um, the Galatian church was one of those churches that grabbed uh, hold to this teaching wholeheartedly, which is why Paul's letter to them is so different than some of the other letters that he wrote to everybody else because Galatians starts off as kind of a, a scolding letter. Because sometimes you and, need to be scolded. But, but what was the reason that they were being scolded? Sometimes you need to be, but there should be a there should be a, a, a logical reason for the scolding, not because someone's berating you, not because someone's trying to put you down, but, but there was a reason for it. And so if you go and you look at Galatians chapter one, you know, Paul starts off in Galatians chapter one especially verse six through nine, which we're going to read. And then we're going to talk about why was he doing this? So in Galatians chapter one, six through nine, here's what Paul says when he begins to write to the, to the, to the Galatians. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him 
who called you in the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel. He says, I, literally everything I wrote to the Colossian church, I wrote to y'all first. Y'all grabbed hold of this. You understood your identity in Christ. You knew you died with him. You knew you were raised with him. You knew that you were no longer supposed to be engaging in, in these exploits of lust and greed. He says, and you heard the word. I preached it to you myself. I came to you. You were my first missionary journey. I came and taught you this word and you grabbed hold to it and you were living by it. He said, and that's why I'm astonished out of measure to hear how quickly you have deserted this teaching to now follow a different gospel. And that's what I'm seeing happening in the world right now. We talk about grace and you got all of Jesus. these preachers who are telling people basically Ugh. that because you're under grace, that, that, that basically God loves you and he does, but then they're having the caveat to that basically whatever you do, it's okay because God loves you. That is not the gospel that was preached. That's not, that is not. Paul said, come, come out from among them. This, this death you had with Jesus, this resurrection I, freak, I speak to you about, the covenant that you are now in, it has disassociated you from the world. You come out from among them. He says, not that there is another gospel. Not that there is another gospel. <laughs> he said, now gospel. let's be clear. You, you, you believe in a different gospel, but let's be clear. It's not another gospel. He says, but there are some people who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ, this gospel of grace. I love this part But right even here. if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that's contrary to the one that we preached to you, he said, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let them be accursed. In Fellowship of Champions, Church International Partners, I am telling you, as your pastor, if anybody is telling you, or if you listen to YouTube videos, or you listen to Facebook videos, or you're reading books that is telling you that you can basically live any kind of way you want to because God loves you, that is an accursed thing trying to attach to your life. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God wants the best for you. But God created a standard for his children to live. Paul preached it. We received it. And I'm astonished at how quickly some of you are turning to a different gospel. But be clear, there's not a different gospel. There's just some folk who want to trick you into believing something so that you can live beneath your original design. I said to you the other day, I said, if you if you guys just stop and think about it, you you ain't you ain't even got to be deep. If you just think good yeah. common sense, if you just think good common sense, never in the world have we considered a good parent to be a parent who says, Sean, because you're my child, you can do whatever you want to do. You go out there and you hit some drunk driver. I mean, you hit some people drunk. I'm going to buy you a new car. Yeah. You do whatever you want to do. You slap, you murder, you kill, you lust after you go anywhere. You do what you want to do. And because you are my child, I'm going to stamp it and approve it. We don't, you, you guys get mad at people who don't manage their three-year-old. Yeah. And you telling me that God is ignoring the bad behavior of 33-year-olds. It just, it, 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 I don't care who say it, it don't make it right. Being under grace is not a license to sin. It is a license to live free of sin. That's the and, license. And, and, and if you don't understand, if anybody 
tries to preach grace in any other manner, they are preaching a different gospel. It is not the, it, it, is, it is not the gospel of God that says, I have saved you, now act a fool. Okay. That is not the gospel of God. Think about this. God creates Adam in his image from the beginning, right? He says, Adam, I want you to have dominion, you and Eve. I want you to multiply. I want you to replenish. I want you to recreate heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. How did Adam and Eve seen? He puts a plan in place before the foundation to get us back to the identity that he originally had for us. Yep. So his original plan was for us to live like him, look like him, and recreate heaven on earth. He sends Jesus to the cross to get us back where we used to be. And then somehow we're going to equate that God's plan is because I love you, do whatever the heck you mm. want to do. It just, take your name and say, it just don't make sense. It doesn't. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. We needed the law. So the law would say to us, we need to say, mm -hmm. there is no way we can keep this. And then he would come and free us so we could keep it. He, he would come and deal with the spiritual part of us, give us back our right identity so we can wake up. It just doesn't. And, and here's the other thing, too, that I think is very, very dangerous. It is this manipulation of these distorted people who come in that now say love. The love of God accepts anything. It doesn't. You can read scripture. The law said that the woman caught in adultery should have been stoned. He did not stone her. He did not stone her and he wrote something in the dirt that kept everybody else from stoning her. When she got up, did he say to her, girl, I love you. Go on back over there to Mr. Jones' house. No, he did not. Did, get, get with Mr. Jones. No. I mean, get it how you feel. But it is recorded what he did say. What did he say? What did he say? What the Bible say? He, he said? did tell her to go and do what? Stay sin out of Miss Jones' bed. No more. Stay out of Miss Jones' bed. Because I, I see no more. Stay out of Miss Jones' bed. Stop sexting Mr. Jones. Stop texting Mr. Jones. Stop meeting Mr. Jones for calling. Well, Jesus is clear. What does Jesus say? He says, if you love me, he said, there's going to be an action step that you're going to do that's going to be able to be seen by everybody. What is it? Go and um, um, obey my commandments. He said, if you love you me, keep my, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And it's important for us to understand that what we're talking about is not new. That's why, that's why we can go back to the New Testament and say, look at what Paul said to the Galatians. Look what he said to the church at Thessalonica. Look at what he said to the Philippians. Because he had similar conversations with all of them about not letting somebody else come in after him and preach something other than what he had preached. Not because he was trying to be, I am the man. He says, because what I taught to you is what I got from God. He said, don't let anybody else come in and teach you something different. We then see this in the book of You're Jude. Teaching today. We see this in the book of Jude. In Jude chapter one, verse four, Jude's having the same issue with these people. He says, listen, he said, there are some vile men and they have slithered in among us who beareth their pious, who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Listen how he speaks about them. They're shameless. Why? Because they're trying to, 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 to entice you to live a way contrary than the way you know to live. He says they have made a mockery 
of the grace that's been given to us. What was the grace that was given to us? What I just said. A grace to, to, to be sin, away from sin. To be away from sin. I, I, he, God, when, when it says God gave us grace, he did. Not grace to sin. He gave us grace that we could live a, that we could live free from sin. That we could live our original intent. That's why, in, that's why. That's why in Colossians yes. it says your old life, this life of sin was a lie. That's not what I created it you It wasn't for. even fit for your original design. Sin wasn't fit for your original design. And that's why he says he calls them scoundrels, shameless scoundrels. He says they have made a mockery of the grace that's been given to us. It says their design, not God's, but their design is to do what? Replace the sheer grace of God, your ability to, leave, to live free from sin. What they want to do is they want to replace that with a license for a life of excess. They want, they want to replace it. Well, you know, God loves you. You can have two wives. God loves you. You can have two husbands. God loves you. You can do, you can say what you want to. God loves you. You can do what you want to. God says to do this, but you ain't really got to do that. They're wanting to replace Don't God that want you design. To be happy? They want to replace that design, their own shameless design, with the sheer grace of God. And I think it's important for, for this family of believers to know that when we talk about God's grace... It is not, and I'm going to keep saying it till you get sick of hearing it. It is not a license we to sin. We won't get sick of hearing it. It's, it. It is not a license to sin. It is a license to live free of sin. That's the grace I've been given. I used to be bound to sin, but I died with Christ. I was raised with Christ. Now I have this grace. What is this grace? It is the grace to live free from sin. Okay, so then he says at the end of that verse, he says, these poor fools, mm -hmm. they have denied, denied Jesus. Jesus. And I want you to understand this. He says they have come in the church. Yep. And within the church, yep. they are teaching something other than the church. Yes. And they have denied yes. Jesus. What he's saying to us is that everybody in the church isn't teaching the gospel. Yes. He says there are people sitting in the church and the very message they are teaching is designed to pull you away from Christ. That's why he says they're fools because they have denied the Lord Jesus, our Lord and master. Yes. And this is the thing that always concerns me about this. It concerns me about this because the Bible says this New Testament too, I think this is important. He says it is better yeah. for a millstone to be cast around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And you cast into the sea. And, and right, the <laughs> millstone around, around your neck, your neck but and around you be and cast, cast into, into the, sea. the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And this is why I've been challenging everybody that we need to get involved in discipling people because there have been people who have been deceived by people they should have been able to trust. They are in the church, but they are not teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are teaching a perverted version of gospel that is pulling people away from God. Any gospel that gives you the license to sin is a false gospel. Any gospel. Any gospel. I don't care who you. preach it. It tells you that you don't have an obligation and responsibility. And I'm going to say it like my grandma used to say, live like something. If you don't have an obligation and a responsibility to live like something, that is not a true gospel from Jesus Christ. I just want y'all to stop and think about this. Why would God free us from sin to then tell us to go sin? 
Why, why put Jesus on the cross? Why beat his back open? Why allow him to be persecuted? Why allow him to do that to then say, well, strict, go do whatever you want to do. Go it, do what it, makes it you makes feel good. It makes zero sense, especially when you look in scripture and you look at what Paul wrote to the Roman church in Romans 12. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, do what? He says, I plead with you. I plead with to you. To do what? To give your bodies to give God? Give your bodies. Because of all he has done for you. Now, if I'm giving my body to God, that means all of my actions. I'm supposed to be giving those to God. They're supposed to be God-led actions. He says, let them, though your actions, your body, be a living and holy what? Sacrifice. The kind that he, God himself, Finds would accept find acceptable. Now, you're telling me that some of this stuff we're telling people they can do, God finds acceptable? There's just no way we can possibly believe that. There's no way you can read scripture intellectually, contextually, and historically and believe that God would allow us to behave in such a way after what he's done for us. Paul says, listen, give your bodies to God. Give your actions, your thoughts, and your, your, your comings and goings. Give those things to God. Let them be living in holy sacrifice, the kind that he finds acceptable. For this is truly the way to worship and to honor him. So what I heard you say, so on. what I heard you Come say on. is that when you singing and crying and laying on the floor snotting, but then you get up and live how you want to live. What he said is that you saying you didn't worship. You didn't worship. Because worship is the presenting of my body. That my, my, my body may be craving this, but I will not give in to my craving yeah. because I love God. I love him so much. You know, one of the things that Jesus says that I love about this is not in the notes. He says, I, he says, I desire him more than my necessary food. Yeah, yeah. I desire him more than my necessary food. And, and you know, one of the things I love about you, I love your bold stand for Christ. Because this is what we've always said. You're not the standard. No, I'm not, not the standard. Nope. Jesus is the standard. Yep. And we don't have the right to lower the standard because people don't seem to be nope. living by it. Nope. It is our responsibility to still stand and see. You know what? The truth of it is, is that if you think about this, if people can do anything and everything around you, you have not shown them right. love. Right. You have not right. shown them love. Right. There are some things I'm not doing in front of people who I know serious about God. Yeah. I'm just not doing it. It ought to be some things just like it. And, and that's not to say, and I don't want anybody to hear it. That's not to say you ought to be living a double life. No, no, no. No, what we're saying is you ought to be conducting your daily life in such a way that people who love God know you love God and people who don't know God know you love something that they don't know. Amen. Now, it ain't talking about what well, I got my, my Christian friends over here and I got my kicking friends over here. No, no, no. That's that double minded thing. We're not talking about that. When she What she's talking about is I'm living my daily life in such a way that I am following the rules and regulation that worship and honor God. I love what Dr. Bell said. Dr. Bell said just because I have a driver's license don't mean I get to drive any kind of way. Now, we can all relate to that. Just because you got a driver's license don't mean you get to get on Interstate I-30 or I-40 and drive the opposite direction. That Just because you have a license doesn't mean you get to act any way you want to. Just because I've been born into the kingdom don't mean now that I get to act any way I want to. Oh, I passed it. I've been born of an incorruptible sin, uh, of an incorruptible seed. Yes, you have. But that don't mean you just get to act any kind of way.
There's a responsibility to those who have been given this glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we then live in such a manner that it worships and honor God and draws other people to him. Yes. So to because I want to continue what I was saying okay. about honoring people. Right. When I recognized that God was with me everywhere, it changed how I wanted to live everywhere. It shouldn't be. Because in college, I was a person who lived two lives. I was one way at church. I was one way at home. But when I realized that God was with me everywhere and my life belonged to him everywhere, I didn't just have a church life. I didn't just have. So what begins has to begin to happen for us. And, and this is the double mindedness we need to work out of ourselves by the word, by the Holy Spirit is Am I living a double life? Am I aware of God in this place, but I'm not aware of God in this place? And so when I don't think God is around, I'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Or do I need to present my body to him as a living sacrifice, even if nobody can see me because he can always see me? Yeah. Because he can always see me, right? And finishing that, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, you think. think. Yes. Let God change the way you think. How is God going to change the way you think? You're going to hear teaching. You're going to get in the word. You're going to pray. You're going to talk to Holy Spirit. Gee, you're going to allow him to transform the way you mm -hmm. think, mm -hmm. right? Because we want to live in such a way that your coworkers say, I noticed you used to go off in the meetings. I noticed you used to be over here when we were gossiping. Why are you not over here anymore? You want people to say about you, there is something. You want to carry an atmosphere that invites other people into the kingdom. Yeah. And this is not sitting around putting down people. Oh, I wouldn't drink if I was you or I wouldn't do this. It's literally living in such a way that the light begins to ooze off of you. So anyone looking for the light begins to pay attention. And that's to why you. it says you let, you let God transform you. It ain't about living like somebody else lives and doing what somebody else does because they they you may only be seeing part of that. It says let God transform you. When he says let God transform, he really talk about let Holy Spirit come into your life and be the person to teach you how to live. Inside out. Living. Inside out living. Inside out living. He says because if you do that, then you will learn to know God's will for your life. He says, which is good and pleasing and perfect in every way. And when you understand that, then it becomes easy to cut off all of those longings, to cut off all that stuff that your flesh wants that God has said no to. Leviticus 20 and 7, and we'll stop here. It says, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You got to consecrate yourself. What does that mean? That means I have to do those things that are necessary that helps me to stay connected to God. I have, I, I have, I have some ownership, Sean. I, ha I have some ownership. I have to make sure that Edwin is doing those things that are going to keep him in a position. So when the enemy's calling and he's going to call, he's going he to call. You ain't never going to live so spiritual. You ain't never going to be so deep. And you ain't never going to have so much word that he's not going to come calling. 
He's going to always come calling. It's why the Bible says you have to resist him and he'll flee. Resist. You have to resist. But in, in order to have that resistance, you need to flood your mind with truth so that when he comes, what you're resisting him with is truth and not willpower. Because willpower won't oh, last forever. Because willpower, see, willpower is natural. Yes. Truth is spiritual. Yes. And willpower gives away, but truth stains, mm -hmm. right? Read the verse right after that. First Peter 1 and 16. What does it say? You got it says, it. you shall be holy for I am mm -hmm. holy. When God says that, guys, he's not inviting us to an impossible standard. He's inviting us to who we really are. And be clear, holiness is not about, it's not about the length of your skirt. It's not about whether you have on makeup or not. It's not about whether you cut your hair. It's not about whether you got on fingernail polish. All of that external superficial stuff that when he was when he was telling us don't don't uh, conform to the world. He wasn't talking about that kind of stuff. He's talking about their behaviors, their heart toward him. He says, don't have a heart like they have. He says, you have a heart that's pliable. Don't have a stony heart. You know, if they if they're involved in chambering uh, and, and they're involved in lasciviousness and, and some what is that? If they if they involved in shacking and fornicating and adultery and all that and other orgies, stuff, then, I mean, you know, if, if, if they involved in all of those kind of things, drinking to excess and they getting drunk and, uh, and smoking and, 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 and doing illegal drugs. He says, don't copy those things. Cheating, stealing, gossiping, backbiting, being evil. He says, don't copy those things. He says, look at what we do in the kingdom and then do those things because that, son and daughter, is your original design. I really just want y'all to think about it like this as we wrap up. We've been married almost 28 years, 28 years in office. And I was thinking about this. When we first got married, I really loved you. I loved you as much as I knew how to love you. But but I'll be honest with you, there were periods in our time, in our marriage, where I didn't really care if I did something that made you mad. Mm -hmm. I didn't really care if I, if you got mad, you got mad. Work through it. Right. But what happened is, is that the more I allowed myself to settle into your love and to understand that you were never saying anything to hurt me. You were never saying anything to keep the best from me. What has happened is over the years, I don't want to disappoint you. And it is not that I am not grown and could not disappoint you. It's that I simply have no desire to do something that disappoints you. Not knowingly. Now, I may do something that disappoints you, but I'm not going to say, I know this would disappoint Edwin, but I'm going to go and do it anyway. So it's not that we don't understand what it means how love can transform us. Yep. It's not that we don't understand that. There are things that, we did early in our marriage that neither one of us would do now. Right. That neither one of us would say now, right? You know this if you're a child that wants to please your parents. If you're, there is a difference between saying, I'm not going to do this because I'm scared I'm going to get in trouble. Right. And I'm not going to do this because I'm, I, I'm not going to dishonor my mama like that. 
It's not, guys, do y'all understand what I'm saying? It's not that we don't understand that. It's that that needs to be our perspective to God. I am so beyond not doing something, trying not to get in trouble with God. I, I don't, I don't want to say what it was, but the worst whooping I ever got from my mama wasn't a whooping. Yeah. The worst, the worst whooping I ever got from my mama, she never laid a hand on me. What she did is she told me how I disappointed her. It was the first, it may have been the only time I've ever heard her use that language. She cried and said I had disappointed her. And, and, and that was the, and literally it was the worst whooping I ever got. And she never laid a finger on me. Because when you really love someone and you realize that you've done something to really harm them and hurt them and disappoint them in such a way, if you love them, you can't help but want to fix that. You can't help but want to fix that. And I've never done that thing again. I've never once done that thing again. And so when we fall in love, when we, I like the way Keyshawn said it, when we settle into our love with God, then we realize that there are just certain things we do not want to do at all to disappoint or hurt them. Well, and you know, and I think about it from this perspective because I want to go back to marriage because I think that it, the, the relationship the church has with Christ is a marriage, right? I can remember when I just wanted you to move on. Whatever you were correcting me about, telling me that I had done, telling me that I had disappointed you, upset you. I just really want you to be quiet. I just, can we stop talking about it? Well, now... Even if you say you cool, I want to double back and be like, now, look, you know, when I said that the other day, I wasn't trying to be, you'll be like, man, girl, I'm not even thinking about that anymore. There is just no way that we can really love someone and not have any regard for how our decisions impact them. Yeah. There is no way we can, we say it all the time in marriages. We say it all the time in relationships. When we really love someone, we become very sensitive to how our actions impact them. Yeah. If I really love Jesus and I know that Jesus's desire is to touch the whole world, it's not about what I have the freedom to do. Yep. It's about what I am willing to crucify in myself to help Jesus accomplish his mission. The whole world desires Jesus. The Bible says he is the desire of nations. And the Bible says that the whole world is longing for Jesus. When they look at us, can they see people who love and honor Jesus? Can they see people that say, I'm going to forgive you anyway? Can they see people that say, hey, I can't, man, I can't be over here with y'all. We were talking about this the other day. Um, I was talking about doing an adult vacation Bible school. And a couple of people asked me if we were doing an adult vacation Bible school, could we have alcohol doing an adult vacation Bible school? They were actually serious. I was actually baffled by why we would want to engage with the spirit and drink spirits. I was actually baffled by it. But I realized that many of us have never been taught that God is to be honored and God is to be reverenced because we have been taught that anything that what's the scripture that says that anything that's it may be lawful, but it's expe not expedient. We think that anything that is lawful 
It's also expedient and beneficial just because we want to do it. And I just want to tell y'all, I think God deserves better. God, he's given so much to us. He deserves better. He deserves for us to care how we engage privately, how we engage publicly, how we engage when no one's looking, how we engage how when everyone is looking. He, uh, he deserves a people that will say, I will crucify my flesh to bring you honor. So what do y'all take away from this? We're getting ready to go. Wanted to invite you today that if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your opportunity to do so. And some of you may have realized, man, I've been in church a long time, but I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus, right? Um, and then some of you may be saying, man, I realize I've just been in a backslidden state. I've been so confident that I'm going to heaven that I just do whatever it is that I want to do today. And I don't want to do that anymore because I recognize that God deserves better. So if you want to give your life to the Lord today because you accept because you want to accept Jesus, because you recognize the great sacrifice that Jesus gave for you to be free, you can put that in the comments today. If you say I, I, I was in a backslidden state and I want to come back to the Lord today because I realize I have not lived the life that honors God. And then thirdly, if you say I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I realize that one of the reasons I struggle is I don't actually hear God's speak. I don't actually know when God is telling me no or telling me go. And I need the Holy Spirit. Or fourth, you say, I want to be a partner of this ministry right here because I like what God is doing in this place and I want to be a part of it. So those are things that you can put in the comments right now. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be a partner. If you want to be a partner, you can click the link Go to www.focchurch.com, scroll down and complete the registration partnership form. But hear me, as much as we want you to be a partner at Fellowship Champions, do you know what you need to do first? You need to be in partnership with God. You need to accept Jesus. And if you're backslidden, and I feel like there are some people here and I'm talking to you and I want you to have the boldness today to put it in the comments. Yes, she's talking to me. I need to come out of a backslidden state. I have been living unto my flesh. I've been living any kind of way that I want to live. And God, I recognize that it's not acceptable to you and you actually deserve better. And so if that's you, put that in the comments. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you just ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life today. You want to be a partner, fill out the form. And really, that's what we do in service now it's time to give yeah. you say well just you know as, as you progress into the giving thing the thing i'll tell you again i go back to like the apostle paul says and as you know functioning as an apostle for this particular ministry i want to warn and i do use the word warn i want to warn people do not allow another gospel to come in and convince you that your giving doesn't matter your giving does matter. And I know that there's been a lot of talk and a lot of debate about whether people should tithe or whether it's grace giving and whether we tell people they under curse if they don't tithe and all of that stuff. But here's the one thing I want everybody to know, and I'm saying it because it was said publicly. If you have listened to Dr. Dollar's message, Dr. Dollar never says don't give. He never once said that. And in fact, if you go to the nine minute in the 42nd mark, what he says is this. He says, your giving is an outward expression of your dependence on God. 
So you have to ask yourself, if I look at my giving, whether I call it tithe, whether I call it grace giving, whether I call it first fruits, whatever you, whatever you decide you want to call it, is my giving a representation of my belief that God will take care of me? That's the question you need to ask yourself. And, I, and I've told my friends uh, who are pastors and I told my friends who are lay members, mark my word, there are people who are going to grab hold to this idea of, oh, I ain't giving 10% no more. Now, Pastor Dollar said, I ain't, I, ain't under, I ain't under law, I'm under grace. And their giving is going to follow the pattern that it shows they don't depend on God. And they're going to find themselves in situations where they used to have and now they don't. And it's not a fear tactic. It's, it's, it's a principle. It's not a fear tactic at all. But what I'm telling you is don't allow yourself to start believing a different gospel. I tell people all the time, you can't talk me out of time. I'm sorry. And I don't care what you call it. The, the truth of the matter is I give God way more than 10 percent. And I give God way more than 10 percent because he asked me for more than 10 percent. At 10 percent is my floor. Now, I don't know about anybody, but 10% is my floor. But but Absolutely. but but that's just my tithe. That doesn't even count my giving. And it certainly doesn't count my alms and the other things that God has called me to do. But I'm telling you, and I, I am those of you that are part of the Fellowship of Champions Church International, don't you get caught up into this idea that you're going to try to withhold what you used to give and bless God with and try to make your, your own way because then you become responsible for your own way. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, just as I told folk what was going to happen in 2008 with gas prices, just like I told folk what was going to happen with this economy, I am telling you, there are going to be people who are going to try to nickel and dime God. And you think you're getting over, but I'm telling you, it's not going to work. Do what you know works and stick with it. And I don't care how popular somebody is. If they tell you to do something then that's different than what you know is working, you better do what's working. I'm just going to say it like this. In the whole time I've known you, I have never stayed under budget in giving you a gift. That's what I'm going to say. I, I, I can't think of anybody I love that I ever went to get them a gift. And I stay under budget because love gives. So look, it's, it's just simple. Love gives. Love gives their best. It's the reason you do the things that you do for our family. It's the things you do, the things you do for this ministry yep. because love gives. Yep. I don't, it don't matter how much money you give. Your It, it doesn't matter whether your gift is a $10 gift or $10,000 gifts, you are going to give in proportion to your love. So if you find yourself being stingy toward giving in God, you either don't love God or you don't love the place you call your church home. The, the conversation that I had, and, and, and let me say it too, let me say it like this so you hear me, for those who are still hanging on. If you belong to a local ministry, it is your responsibility to help support that local ministry financially. If that ministry is doing the kind of things that you are in support of and they're, they're helping the community, they're helping people, they're giving, in our case, scholarships, they're doing, you know, we, we don't do a food bank. We give to organizations that do. If your ministry is doing that, it is your responsibility because if you don't give it, what do you think it comes from? The church is not the U.S. Mint. We don't print money. So it comes from the people who support the ministry. The second thing is this, is that if you say you love God, you are never looking for a way to give him the least of what you have. In anything. You're not in, in anything. 
You you look at what you are, you, you, when it comes to, and I tell people this, and we've said this, ask God what to give. We all we have always, anybody who's been with our ministry for any length of time has all, that's why we don't have $100 lines and $500 lines and $1,000 lines. And that's why when we get to the scholarship, we don't have a special banquet for the people who gave $10,000 and not have something for the people who gave $10. Why? Because we just ask everybody to hear Holy Spirit and give us Holy Spirit directs you. But I, but I want, but I have to, as pastor, correct this idea that somehow we think we have been set uh, free from honoring God with our with our finances. We have not, and neither is that what Dr. Dollar said. Could he have said it better? I think so personally. I think so personally. I think he could have said it in a way such that it didn't create the kind of confusion that it has created. But here is what I'll tell you. He did say, and I agree 100% with, is that your giving is an outward expression of your dependence on God's ability to take care of you. And I look at my giving and I go, wow, I depend on God. I depend on God. <laughs> I depend on God. Depend and on you know God. what? He's shown up every time. He's shown up every There's time. not been a single thing in my life that I've lacked since I made the decision that I was going to tithe. It just hasn't. And so you can't talk me out of it. So I encourage those of you who know what God has said to you to do that you continue doing it. You know, we'll just wrap up with this right here. One, if anybody has any questions about the teaching, go ahead and ask those because we really like to clarify this. It really comes down to this right here. Do I love God enough to just surrender everything? Whether that everything is my body, my conversations, or my money. Yeah. And why would I give God everything when he's given me everything? Facts. Why wouldn't I get why wouldn't I give God everything when he has given me everything? Yep. You know, you, all you got to do is just look at your own actions. You know, I watch this sometimes with our kids. If we if, you know, sometimes I'll be out somewhere and I'll ask one of the girls to give me some cash because mm -hmm. I don't have any money. And Jordan will say, Mom, you can have all my cash. Why would she be willing to give me all her cash? Because she knows there's no way in the world that she could give me all her cash yep. and I would leave her this depleted. Right. She knows that. There is no way you're going to do what God is telling you to do. And God is going to leave you depleted. Yep. But understand that this teaching that's in the body of Christ, this teaching that is pulling people away from grace. I mean, that's well, the real meaning of grace is pulling people away from grace. It really is a setup for the enemy to steal, kill and destroy. Mm -hmm. It is a setup and you need to put some guards in your heart. And the thing that I would encourage you to do is this right here. I don't have discussions with people who don't talk. And I don't read books about reasons why I shouldn't. I because if you start to open all that stuff up, all you do is get convinced of it. That's why you got all these black Hebrew Israelites out here who don't even understand what it means to be a Hebrew Israelite because they read something or watched something on YouTube and bought into a falsity. And I'm just and I leave it as that and just say at the end of the day, you better catch yourself obeying God, period. And you'll be so glad that you did. You'll be so. I love what Dexter Lee says. He says you can't expect benefits that you no longer qualify for. Tithers qualify for some stuff non-tithers don't. And people might people may not like that, but it, it it's just Bible. And people, you can do what you want to do. Um, here's a question: How do you stay in faith and maintain and maintain a decision? It's dead. It's dead when times are tough. I don't know what that. I think the question is, it says, how do you stay in faith and maintain a decision 
and maintain that the decision is dead. Some decision that you've made, I guess, to separate from something is dead when times are tough. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God. What did God say? We, we say all the time that faith is, is faith is what the will, faith is, what is it? How do we say it? It's, uh, faith is, is known by, is by the will of God. What did God say? So you have to know what God said about the situation. The way you stay in faith is by keep believing God about that. If that's if I'm understanding the question right, that's how you believe God. That's how you stay. When people say, "How do you stay in faith?" my my response is always, "What did God say?" You stay in faith by keep believing that. For instance, you take a kid who's five years old. His dad says, "Hey, when I get home from work, I'm gonna take you to McDonald's." The dad usually gets home at four o'clock. Dad's not there at four o'clock. What's the kid doing? Looking for dad to come home. Why is the kid looking for the dad to come home? Because he believes when dad gets home, what's dad gonna do? Taking to McDonald's. Maybe dad had to work late. So dad's not there at five o'clock. Dad's not there at six o'clock. Dad's not there at seven o'clock. But when dad shows up at 7.30, guess what that kid's expectation is? That they're going to McDonald's. Why? Because they stayed in faith. They kept believing. I don't know what I don't know what else. I mean, you may have something else, but when people say, How do you stay in faith? You have to know what God said. And then you have to choose to keep believing in. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. I'm really just trying to think of a way to explain it um, because, because I think that this is a question. Yeah, Demetri, it's faith begins where the will of God is known. Um, I guess for me, I never assumed that being in faith meant that there wouldn't be tough times. Like the only reason that God would have to say fear not or stay focused on this right here is because this thing can't be seen in the natural yet. That's the reason he would say that. So if he tells me not to fear, the thing that comes to mind is that he is now saying there will be an opportunity to fear. So you don't fear because I've told you what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. We're going to the other side. I think a lot of times people think that faith is this thing that because I'm going to, because I'm in faith, there's never going to be adversity. The faith is what I use to get through the adversity. And I'm going to use Jordan because thank you, Holy Spirit. Here's the example right here. Once God told me Jordan was going to talk, I know exactly where I was sitting when God told me Jordan was going to talk. God also said to me that I could choose whether to believe what the doctor said or what he said. When God told me Jordan was going to talk, she did not talk the next day. She did not talk the next week. She did not talk the next month. But what happened is, is that what God said to me became so big to me that it began to change my reality. It literally began to force the fact that she wasn't talking to conform and cause her to, to um and, and cause her to talk. I don't think that most people understand faith is an act of violence. But you faith still have the expectation the whole time. You never let it go. I didn't let it. So when people say, what does it mean? to When the question is, how do I stay in faith? You don't let go. You don't let go. You, the, the, the tough times is really irrelevant. They're irrelevant. They, 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 are. they really are irrelevant. If God has said, if, you, if you're holding on to what God, if, if you're holding on to what God said, it's why Jesus really got frustrated with the disciples when they were in the boat. He said, Teach, he, he literally said to them, we are going to the other side. Jesus goes down at the bottom of the ship and he takes a nap. 
They wake him up screaming about the fact of master, do you not care that we about to perish? Jesus, like you woke me up from a nap to talk about perishing after y'all done threw all of our supplies overboard? Didn't I tell you we were going to go to the other side? He was like, if I told you that that's where we're going to end up, the journey getting there shouldn't matter to you. The problem with most people is we care more about what's going on in the journey than what God said. And so when people say to me, what does it mean to stay in faith? That's all I can give them because that's all I know. All I know is there have been times in my life where God said about this ministry. You hear me? Did I have I ever wanted to close the doors? Heck yeah. <laughs> yes, I wanted to go do something this else. This FOC after dark. I want no, we're not, no, we not going to be here no four hours. What we what we not what we not going to do is be here for more. No hours. one had to say it was four hours. That's <laughs> my, so my, my point is God bless you. My point is that's not a touch screen. My point is is that at the end of the day, what did God say? Do you believe it enough to hang on to it no matter what? That's what staying in faith. Yes. So again, faith is an act of war. I didn't get that. Could you try again? <laughs> you done got your computer preaching back to you. Serial <laughs> you preaching. It, it really is this relic. No, Chandra said they'll stay if you want them to, babe. Y'all y'all more than welcome. I will not cut this broadcast off. <laughs> Maybe yeah. tripping. I ain't tripping. <laughs> I'll stay and answer any questions they got for a little while. For a little while. For a little right? while. <laughs> for a little while. No, but and I, Latanya. First of all, I think it's a really good question. But faith. Well, who asked the question? Latanya asked the question, okay. and it's a really good conversation, right? What? It's a good conversation because faith is. I heard what God said, mm. and because I heard what God said, Shavandra said, I grab hold of what God said like a dog, like a pit bull, and I don't let go. Yeah. Now I'm going to have some things that are going to come to try to make me let go. Cause anytime I decide to walk by faith, the in some of you are going to decide to tithe today and the enemies go say, well, let's see if they serious. Let's see what happens if a tire mess up. Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens if they, all their kids clothes get too short. Let's see. The reason I say faith is an act of war is because once I've heard what God said, there must become a position of no retreat in me. Mm -hmm. And I am so convinced on what God said that even if I have to change my approach, I won't back up off of the thing that God said. All right. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Because if not, we're about to let y'all go. Indeed. It's funny because Dexter says fiery trials are the norm. I don't think they're the norm. I think you just get to the point where you're not moved by trials. Because here's what I know. The Bible tells me in Jeremiah, it says that you'll trust God so much that you won't even see when trouble comes. Yes. So trouble may come, but you won't even see it. You'll be so focused on God. I think that there have been times that we did not realize how much trouble we was in until we came out. I'm convinced of it. That we didn't know how much we were so focused on God. I'm convinced We did not it. know how much trouble we were in until we came out and looked back and went, how and, in the and world? When we came out and somebody said, oh my God, we can't believe so and so and so. We go, oh yeah. That oh yeah. Happened. Oh yeah. God, listen, I was so focused on what God had said. 
I, I, I got to focus on what God told me to do about this scholarship right now. I ain't got time to be thinking about none, I, I, no other troubles. All I'm focused on what God said, and I'm seeing him do it every week, every week, every week. Any other questions, guys? Because this is good conversation, and I know some of you may need to go, but we don't. We haven't done this in a while where we've just said, hey, if you have conversations. I, but I think that this, I mean, if you have questions, you can ask. But whatever, babe. Um, whatever, babe. But, but I think, you know, it's, it really is, is that somebody asked me, they said, why are you, why do you never seem bothered? And I think anybody who knows me personally would know that things do get under my skin and things do aggravate me. A lot. You such a hater. <laughs> you need to get delivered. Somebody bring some oil for the pastor. But I'm going to say what I'm frustrated about to get it out of my heart and I'm going to get right back in faith. Yeah. I'm I'm going to I'm going to say what God said. And this is the thing that I don't understand. I really want y'all to hear it. Like this is going to sound so mean, but I don't mean it mean. Why would I complain to people who don't have my solution? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean keeping it all to myself. But my expectation is from God and him only will I trust. Amen. Why would I add, why would I tell you my problems when you can't solve your own problems when I could just tell God my problems and he could give me the solution? And and I'm like Kim and when I say, because if God is in control of my life, what is worrying going to do? Because many of you, you spend a lot of time worrying and nothing changes because you worry. I would much rather just find out what God has to say about the situation and agree with God. Why would I complain? What would be the point in me complaining to people who do not have my solution? Mm -hmm. All right. Amen. So, um, Dexter said, I know you're going to use these exit tickets to prepare more good that's teaching. Right. That's get, right. That's really what the, we do. You got to get the exit tickets. Latanya, is it okay to say we're frustrated and stay in faith? Yeah. It, it's okay to say I'm frustrated. And typically, I'm frustrated because I, I don't see. Thank you. I'm frustrated. Because I am so convinced of what God has said, I don't understand why it ain't shown up yet. You just have to be careful not to allow that frustration, though, to become something that drains you into or pulls you into disbelief. Agreed. It's why I say it's, it's one thing to be frustrated. It's, it's one thing to be frustrated. It's another thing to live in frustration. Yes. You can't live in frustration. So how do you avoid living in frustration? Gratitude. gratitude. And go back to what did God say? Gratitude. You practice gratitude. Anytime it looks like I, something's not going to manifest, I go back to I rehearse. I have memorial set up with God. I don't just tell the story about Jordan for you. I tell the story of Jordan for me. Because the, to me, Jordan is the biggest miracle God has ever done in my life. So anytime, um, yes, we'll do that one next, babe, is a question, Kim Sanford. Um, so anytime I'm like, I wonder if this can happen, I'm like, Jordan is proof anything is possible. 
That's really how I live this. Kim's question, you see it? Uh, where? Right there. Oh. Can you explain a little bit faith without works is dead? Is works believing and putting your hands to it? Yes. Hey, she said no, explain. No, she didn't say <laughs> no, I'm saying, no, I'm saying our answer is yes. When we talk about faith, when they say that faith without works is dead, uh, being alone, what, what, what Paul was explaining to them was, is that if you say that you have faith, then there ought to be corresponding action to your faith. And, and, and the way Dr. Hilliard explains that is that you always go as far as your faith will allow. So, for instance, let's say that you're believing um, uh, uh, for healing for somebody in your family, right? You're believing that God would, would, would miraculously heal them, okay? Well, you're not a medical doctor uh, and, and you can't do anything to make them better. So what action can you put with your faith, with your believing? Well, number one, you can pray, okay? What can you pray? You can pray God's word. Oh, well, I don't know what God's word says. Well, the action is go find out what God's word says about healing, right? And then you pray and you believe that. You make those confessions. Those are your action steps. When we say that, that faith is not just sitting back idly and saying, hey, I'm going to just wait and see what God does. Faith is saying that literally faith begins with the will of God is known. I know what God wants. I know what God's will is. Then my question becomes, God, what's my part to play? God then gives you an instruction. And then if you have faith in God, then you do that instruction. Then you go as far as you can go until God gives you the next instruction. So when we say that faith without works is dead, it means your faith is no good if you're not putting corresponding action with it. But the corresponding action shouldn't be something that you just come up with. It should be something that God's instructed you to do. Okay. So I'll add to that. I'll use something about financial increase. So I see a lot of people who are saying, I believe God for financial increase. Okay. Well, you know, there are natural things that produce financial increase. So if you're, you're like, I'm a tither. Why don't I have enough increase? I actually had this happen a couple of times with people. I said, tell me how much it takes for you to live for a year and tell me how much you make a year. So they told me how much it takes for them to live a year. They told me how much they make a year. It's a gap, right? In those situations, you don't need Holy Spirit to say to you, Edwin, get another job. You know it's the will of God for you to be able to take care of your family. You know you don't have enough provision to take care of your family. You know the company that you work out, work at isn't paying what you need to take care of your family. So by faith, you say, God, because I believe provision is the will of God for my, I am moving in a direction to find a job that takes care of my family. And what I see a lot of people do is they go, I'm working at this job right here. I'm a tither. I don't make enough money. So I'm just going to sit here and hope something happens and then be frustrated because I don't make enough money. Mm -hmm. But in reality, if you need $75,000 a year to live and your job only pays you $62,000 a year, you have a $13,000 gap. Now, because God is miraculous, you stay in a float because money is coming from all of these unexpected sources, but you always stressed out because it's not enough. 
So what would, what would wisdom say? Go get a job that makes at least $80,000 mm-hmm. so that you can have a gap. Not sit in a place that doesn't pay you enough and then say to God, do something. Mm-hmm. Because God is giving you the ability to act. Indeed. Does that make sense, guys? Because I think that this is so important and then people will go, oh, my faith doesn't work. Your faith would work if you would move. You won't move. Um, One time this girl came to me and she said, I want to be a caterer. I have a dream to be a caterer. I have <laughs> I I, My greatest about. dream yeah. is to be a caterer. And I said, well, good. What do you cook? I actually said, bring some food next week. Let me taste it. She said, yeah, I don't let nobody taste my food. Baby, you're not going to be no caterer. Baby, you're not going to be a caterer. Because unless you serve an air sandwiches that people willing to buy, it, it, it's, it, it, it's just very simple. And then I believe Smith Wigglesworth said it like this. He says, if God don't move, I'm moving. I move God with my faith. That's not manipulation. That is, I'm now going to go as what Dr. Healy say, as far as my faith can take me. I, I can't make them give me a job, but baby, I can apply. I can apply. I can get that resume together. I can let somebody taste my food. And I think sometimes if you now you may listen to that story and go, well, that's ridiculous. How can somebody be a caterer if they won't let somebody taste their food? How are you going to make more money if you stay at a job that doesn't pay you enough? A uh, blue. And I. Uh, How are you going to change a marriage if y'all won't go to counseling? Mm. Well. How are you going to lose weight still eating at the buffet every day? See, it, it's not that we don't, a practical faith is supernatural, but it's going to have a practical corresponding action. Indeed. And this is my last closing because I'm a preacher. I got three. This is my last one. You With Jordan. Well, no, mind your own business. <laughs> mind your own business, right? So, mind your own business. <laughs> Stop picking on me. When people ask us about Jordan, everybody wants to know the prayer that we prayed, like we prayed at one time. But we did practical stuff with Jordan. We did supernatural and practical stuff with Jordan. People will tell you we laid hands on Jordan for a year, twice a day. Me, If it wasn't nobody but me, Chris, and Tamara, we laid hands on Jordan for a, somebody say a year, in the morning, And in the evening, and we would command her language to come forth. Her language must come forth. It has to be the consistency. I didn't just sprinkle some oil on Jordan and then go back in my office and let her watch Blue's Clues and hope something was going to happen. Every day we were engaging in what God said. You know what else? Jordan went to therapy. She went to speech therapy. Jordan went to preschool. She took the right kind of supplements for her she brain. She took the right, too. she took supplements for her brain. We changed her diet. We did all of these things. We did not just say we, okay. We've been doing them for 17 years. So it's not like, it's not like you Thank did it you one time. <laughs> this is where we were trying to get to. I hear it. We didn't do those things trying to force God to do something. 
we did those things because we believed what God said. We did all of that stuff. We didn't do that stuff trying to make God do something. We did it because see, we're so convinced that she's action of our faith. It was the expression of our faith. So you're applying for jobs because you believe there's a better job for you. That's why you're applying, not because you're trying to make God do something. You know the job is already there. You're applying because you so you're you're I was so convinced that Jordan was going to talk. I was so convinced that I just lay hands on it every day. You you will speak, your language will come forth. All right, we done. Sow your seed today. Give your offering to the scholarship fund. Y'all see what I have to deal with, home? <laughs> what? But y'all see what I'm I have letting to you deal have it. You said no. you would. I'm letting you do all your after afternooning. <laughs> it ain't gonna be no dark. It's gonna be after afternoon. Y'all see how he do me? He do me just like this at home. He'll say something to me. I'll get excited. We'll be engaging back and forth. And then he'll just be done engaging. And he don't say I'm done engaging. He just go do something else. And I just, he do me like this, but I don't care nothing about that. So, all right. We, we will see you at our. <laughs> do it be like that. No, pastor been done. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to give y'all a good, strong, strong 60 to 75 minutes. But after that, <laughs> you need to sit this down. <laughs> but I wanted to stay and ask you guys questions. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> y'all pray for him. Amen. Okay, so strategies for success tomorrow at noon. Prayer Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central. We mm -hmm. want y'all to be there for that. Something supernatural happens when we pray. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, we want to get our kids involved in um, Ignite because we want our kids to know the word of mm -hmm. God, 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. And then you need to come to Bible study at 8 p.m. Central um, where someone's go. Your mama just called your middle name. Look what your mama what just did. What she say? Your mama said, Eugene, stop. Y'all block her. She said, Edwin. Y'all block her. She said, Eugene, stop. Y'all block her. Your mama called your middle name. Y'all block her. You know what that means? You know what that means? Your mama don't what, like how you what, treat me. Where the studio people at? Your mama don't like how you Block treat me right her. there. Your mama don't like it. She don't like how you treat me right Block there. Block her. She don't like it. You should say you're sorry because your mama don't like that. She said, I'm, I about, heard, I'm about to go. She said, Eugene, I'm about stop. to go. <laughs> Put that comment up. No, you don't. Eugene, I'm about to block stop. Sean said, we is not blocking money. <laughs> Eugene, stop. That's what your mama said. Eugene. Are you going to finish with your mouth? Eugene. She done called your whole government name. Eugene, stop. All right. Now I feel so much better. Let's go to Bible study at 8 p.m. Central. Friday morning, we want everybody to get up for Champion Circle at 6.30 a.m. Something supernatural happens uh, when we pray. So we do a lot of praying around here. And then on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., Pastor Chris and Elder Valley will be back again. Um, you won't be here this? She's going to be with you. Oh, okay. There may not be praise and worship this Sunday, but you can still praise them anyway. Yet have a yet praise in your have heart. And then Pastor Elmo will be here next Sunday at 9.30. Get your yet praise. So even if Chris don't come up, because <laughs> if Chris backslide, what you going to do? You need to get your yet praise. Amen. All right. We love y'all. Thank y'all for hanging out with us. If, something, if this blessed you today, send us a message. Share this with somebody. Put a comment. And I don't care what nobody else do. You keep living for Jesus. You keep living for Jesus. You keep living for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all be blessed. All right. Bye-bye.